Chaps, we're back again. We're back in the studio, finally, after what feels like months and months of Zoom calls. So mm. it's great to be back. It's great to be back in person, and it's going to be even better to have a kill. Just use a bit of common sense. Be a bit smart in the way you invest. It's overpaid by 10%. Try to reduce the level of borrowing. Every time you renew your two-year or five-year deal, borrow a tad lower. So you're reducing your loan to value across your portfolio. And what I would say is look at the blended rate across your portfolio in terms of loan to value rather than the individual ones, mm -hmm. because you're going to service the debt, your voids and your maintenance through the surplus income from your entire portfolio. So I think it's a good point to make. And I think once you go through the journey and you're halfway or three quarters into your investment journey, start thinking about maybe you own 10 properties, maybe let's do three or four on a repayment basis and the other five or six on a um, interest-only basis, so you're hedging your bets. Back for a second visit. Is he our, is our, is he our first repeat customer yeah, on the Landlord Podcast? What soccer AM do? Are we going to give him like a football if he does three? I don't know. I have to work that out. What do we give him? Hat-trick. We'll Somewhere give him an Allen. Hoodie. Got to be a hoodie. Well, a loyalty prize, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, so two out of three. Two, two stickers on his Costa card coming up. Um, so we're looking forward to speaking to Akil. What, what's... What's your big questions for him now? I'm going to really get stuck into rates because rates are changing at the moment. They're going up and this week particularly I've had loads of notifications, not just little micro jumps, but we're seeing like 0.4% increase on a lot of deals. So I really want to talk about that. I want to talk about underwriting, what's going on with down valuations for sales and rentals, uh, cost of living and inflation, if that's having an impact. So, and, and some other little special questions that I've got for the end as well. So. Uh, looking forward to quizzing the kill. He loves to be put on the spot, so that's what I'm going to do. What about yourself, Tristan? Uh, I think Ian's covered a lot of it, but I think I'd be interested <laughs> to know. Leave some for me. Um, I think I'd be interested to know what happens outside of the mortgage world. What's going on with Ukraine at the moment? Is it going to have an impact on the mortgage world or UK property market as a whole? Will that actually turbocharge the housing market or will it have an adverse effect? We'll see. Akil probably knows better than anybody else. Let's bring him on. Akil. Thanks for joining us again for a, a second visit to the Landlord Page podcast. So very welcome. Thanks for having me again. Can't wait to get into it. Ian. Yeah, first guest to come on twice. We spoke about commercial and kind of refurbs last time um, and the B-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-
There's a lot of global um, issues going around the world, so you've got to be conscious of that. But what I would say is, in the limited company space, rates have actually come down. If you, mm. if you look at those particular those rates in particular over the last nine months, so where we were punching at three and a half, four percent, we're now sub three percent on limited company rates. So the difference between a personal uh, rate buy to let and a limited company, the rate, uh, the difference is now squeezing. So it's positive for. Um, seasoned investors in the limited company space. So is, is there a point where these these rates start to match each other? Um, they, I don't think they will match equally, um, but I think they will they will become um, less of a difference if they're in a, in a nice way of putting it. So I think they are being squeezed, and I think because the simple reason is because the limited company space lenders are funded in different manner compared to high street lenders where they've got shareholders to to answer to and, and their, their various um, shareholders. But in the limited company space, those lenders are funded by high net worth individuals, institutional lending, as well as hedge funds as well. So they're securitized funds on a totally different uh, dynamic. Mm-hmm. So hence why they can effectively change their rates to remain competitive with their peers in that market. Do you think lenders feel more comfortable then maybe with the, the limited business investing at the moment? From a, a medium-term perspective, do you think that's maybe why the rates are dropping? Or? Yeah, I think I think from a buy-to-let perspective, I think the the forecast remains optimistic. I think lenders are very, very optimistic about the market. Yeah. And we've seen that over the last two years. I think beginning of COVID, 2020, February, um, everyone was expecting uh, price crashes to come down, rates to go up, and everything else in between. But what we found was house prices increased. People, there was 20 viewings per property, and you probably guys are the best um, with that, probably 20 plus views per property. So property prices went up, rates remained steady, if not came down in that space, and lenders will, were willing to lend. And the beauty is lenders are at higher loan to values. You can get up to 85% buy to let mortgages. As I said, rates are now sub 3% in limited company capacity, or even low 1% if you're borrowing in a personal name. Yeah, it's good, it's positive. I actually woke up this morning, and looked at a couple of emails where I and get a little bit of an inside scoop from uh, lenders changing rates. I think it was Accord this week that had done some big jumps. And I, it was the first time I was a bit nervous about the market. I kind of read it and I was thinking, is that the start? You know, with inflation, everything going on at the moment. But it's great to have you on because you're clearly very naturally confident in it. So that's helping me with a bit of reassurance as well. <laughs> were you, you clickbaited? Are we saying you were saying you're clickbaited? Maybe, yeah. Maybe I've, I've been, a, been a victim to my own style. Um, but inflation is the other topical point at the moment. Just in general, I think cost of living. You know, if you if you talk to anyone in a generation above us. They're going to moan about the cost of uh, gas and the cost of fuel at the moment. So what I'm interested to know from a from an underwriter's perspective, whether that's starting to change anything. I don't know if any of your business development managers at lenders are starting to let you know about changes in lending criteria or anything to do with inflation. Um, there has been a bit of noise in that space and whether underwriters are going to look at energy prices, household expenses creeping up, and are they going to factor that into the underwriting and the affordability assessment? Um, there is a bit of chitter-chatter about that space, but I don't think that will come into effect tomorrow. Okay. And I don't see it happening in the very near future anyway. With regards to inflation, you know, at the moment we're at 5.4. Is it really 5.4? Is it 7.4? Is it 10.4? Who really knows yeah. uh, what's in that shopping basket? But I think, I think inflation in particular is here for the short term. I think it's going to be around for the next year or two because simply because of the global issues we've got Russia Ukraine you've got supply and demand issues you've got this um, the the the, um, the prices of raw materials spiking and energy prices as well so I certainly think um, they will keep going up the inflation and central banks have to hedge those by increasing interest rates and I think they will go up in line with one another very very soon but I think it will be short-lived and I think we'll have inflation 
heading towards um, the two, two and a half percent, I think in the next couple of years. Interesting. I guess really the, in fact, we had uh, Peter Leverdos jump on our podcast and he's a uh, business coach from Action Coach and he did our forecast. So I remember him being a little bit gloomy about the outlook from from a, an economy point of view. But one thing that he did touch on was cost of living impacting tenants. And as I kind of reflected on that podcast and the point that you mentioned there, for landlords, because this is a podcast for landlords, I don't think obviously the benefit for first time buyers isn't going to be here, but we're talking to landlords. If it's more expensive for a tenant at the moment to live, the chance of them being a tenant for longer is much higher 100%. because they can't save as much money to become a first time buyer in reality. Yeah. So in terms of long term asset, the risk of having a tenant move out is what's the frustration for a landlord. You don't want to turn over every 12 months or 14 months, whatever the average. You'd much rather have it two years. I guess while inflation's riding at the moment over the next couple of years, it's probably more a question for you two, but Mike, it, that would, you would expect tenants to stay longer off the back of that if they can't afford to save yeah, more. Yeah, if it, if, it, if it impacts on your affordability and your ability to save, we've always said that a lot of tenants live in a, in a bit of a, an, an issue where they they can't get out of it unless they have a life changing event like an inheritance to pull them out of of, of rented property. Um, mm. I know most first time buyers can afford to save for a property because they can go and live with parents and save that money if that ability is not there for you and your costs are going up. Unless more and more stimuluses are brought in by the government to help to buy those sorts of things, then then it makes it more difficult for people. And the tenants you're talking to, Tristan, are you typically, what feedback are they giving you in terms of how long they're planning to be in a property at the moment? Is it just indefinite? Is it is it different to how it was when maybe you started your career? What's the trends at the moment for what people are expecting to be in a property for? Compared to when I first started, it's definitely changed. Um, people are wanting long term. I think COVID's been probably the biggest factor for people is realising they want outdoor space. They've been stuck in an apartment, for example, no mm -hmm. balcony or outdoor space, and they've got family on the way or whatnot. And people are wanting somewhere to, and with rents going up as well, quite substantially over a short period of time, people want to settle and stay put for that period of time. So I'm typically seeing people commit to longer term tenancies. I have the odd here or there where they're trying to find somewhere to buy, but where they're losing to so many different people trying to buy somewhere, they're just not in a position and they need to find somewhere. But there's only like, we say one in 10 or something like that. Mm. It's um, not a, a substantial amount of people on that, but typically it's long-term tenancies. So as long as the landlord is looking at the property and we talk about family homes, garden, nice place, good communication with the landlord, then typically it's stay put. Uh, Tristan mentions about rent prices increasing. Mm. In the sales market, surveyors are... They can't keep up with the market, so they're downvaluing the asking price quite a lot, even though you could sell it 10 times over, which doesn't make sense in itself. But that's no. it's not necessarily their fault. It's just the fact that they're behind the times. They're not on the shop floor kind of seeing what's going on with the market, and sometimes they might make the mistake of looking at land reg pricing and things like that. Are you seeing that at all with buy-to-let valuations? Are, are you getting any down valuations on rental? Um, what we found is the rental valuations haven't, been hasn't been really been an issue to be honest with you where the issues some issues have come or have been arisen is through the property valuations and in particular when we're going to remortgage those properties out of a two or a five year fix now in 2022 there's a lot of data coming out where there's going to be this year's going to be about the remortgage market because of the changes in the pra that came into effect in 2016 
2017, everyone then locked into a five-year fix for that reason. Um, I think surveyors are conscious of the, the uptake in house prices over the last couple of years. They are forecasting a dip in house prices simply because the demand's not there. As Mike mentioned earlier, the incentives are no longer there around stamp duty. So they're conscious of a price reduction, but that's mm. what a lot of forecasters thought. We were going to see that in the last two years, but the prices, you know, with double digits, you know, every, saw, every region saw a 10% or ish uh, rise in house prices. So they, you know, it's, you've got to be conscious of, as estate agents, you've got one demographic, you've got a personality. Surveyors have got a different personality to our spaces. So we've got to be conscious of, of the, the surveyor's background and their thought process. But what I always say to my um, our clients is whenever you're going to do a valuation, particularly a remortgage, even if you haven't done work to the property or if you have done work to the property, visit the property at the same time that the property is going to be inspected I and mean, explain to the um, surveyor what you've done to the property before and after pictures, maybe local comparables, mm-hmm. what's sold, what's let out, what's actually let in the local area, just to give them a bit more um uh, flavor about your property because you know your property better than they do yeah, right yeah. so if you walk them through that property don't tell them to don't teach them how to suck eggs and all that sort of stuff but do it in a nice polite manner yeah don't um, be a pest yes no i certainly <laughs> agree but you know as i said if you've done if you've done you know great work to spend property you spent 20 30 grand and so on you know explain to them why you spent it maybe it was epc improvements maybe it was you know bringing it up to life bringing it up to street um, level and stuff like that so and tell them the demand for that type of property so if your your property's fetching an extra 200 pound a month tell them why say this is the demand for it this is the amount of viewings, and this is, I've had no void periods over the last 18 months or 24 months. Explain that to them. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I think you will benefit from that. But um, from, a ba- from a bank's perspective, what I've got to say is they're going to rely heavily on the surveyor's comments. If the surveyor says it's downgraded for whatever reason, the lenders are going to say, if that's the case, that's the case. If you want to appeal it, please tell us why and evidence it, and they will take a view on it and return back to the surveyor. So. Um, it's not all doom and gloom, I would say. I would certainly say it's very, very positive. I'd probably say it's probably one, maybe about two in ten that come in down valued. I think it's more about house prices rather than the rentals coming down. So you mentioned about the um, rent prices, provide the evidence to them. So if there's any landlords that's listening and they can't get together on the back end side of things that we do on the platforms we use and they need some comps, whether it's in or out of area, feel free to send a message. I can download a report for you and send it over. So. Um, go to the landlord page and I'm, I'm happy to help with that as well. So it just takes a couple of minutes of my time. Yeah, same for, for your clients as well. Because I think what you're trying to do for the surveyor is do the hard part of their job for them. You're going to find the same information. It's just a case of supplying it with them. And I know a lot of the avocado partners always insist on meeting the surveyors at the property to do exactly what you said. So it's, it's great advice for landlords because it will make a massive difference to, yeah. to that surveyor. Um, you don't have to smooth them with champagne and flowers because it might look a bit obvious then. <laughs> <laughs> it might help. <laughs> just help with a bit of information. Um, off camera, we, we were talking about Russia. We're not going to get into that conversation on this podcast because it might go a different topic altogether. But do you think there's any impacting factors throughout the next 10 months of this year outside of just general mortgage and property chatter that might impact the UK's housing market? Because I know you're a big um, you're a big influence in our kind of knowledge of what goes on outside of the UK and the US banks and things like that. So it'd be great to kind of share that with the landlords if you've got any inside scoop. Um, I think if I think property is one of those assets where you've got to be mindful of what's happening in the wider world because property is an international game and Every single millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire out there has got his his or her feet, um, hands in in real estate properties. You've got to be conscious of the worldwide market. I think um, I think 
with Russia and Ukraine, what's going on, I think it will have a negative effect globally. Uh, but the beauty about that is globally, so everyone's in the same boat to a certain degree. So I don't think, I think, take it with a pinch of salt. Mm -hmm. I think from an entrepreneurial seasoned investor's perspective, just concentrate on your game, stay in your lane. We can't realistically um, ask Putin or to put down his tools or whatever he's doing out there and, and the other team. But what you need to do is just stay in your own lane, stay, remain focused on your game plan and have work with the right power team in order for you to make a to make a profit in, in real estate. And I think it's easily doable, um, but it's just buying at the right time, at the right price. And all, in mo most importantly, having a plan A, B and C if, if stuff does go wrong, I should say. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I think if um, Putin did arrive for the mortgage valuation, there might only be one result for that spare. <laughs> Turning up topless on his on his horse for a mortgage valuation. In terms of, um, you, you mentioned earlier about 85% loan to values. I'm just interested to know because we, by by trend, it's normally 25% is that kind of deposit that you've got to put down for, a, for an investment asset at the moment. Do you think that would just be the theme for the foreseeable? How did those 85% sort of products kick off? Was it was there a lot of traction demand? How were the lenders? What was the criteria like? Do you think we might see them or do we think they're going to be phased out or phased in at the moment? I think I think from a lender's perspective, if you've got 25% to put down as an equity deposit, I think that gives the lender enough comfort that you're putting enough skin in the game. I think, to be honest with you, 25% can weather virtually any storm. I can't see a housing crash coming, going yeah. anything, nowhere near 25%. So I think from a from a safety net perspective, I think 25% is a is a comfortable safety um, a safety spot to be in. With regards to the 85% lending, now there are various lenders out there that are willing to lend with as little as 15% deposit. But what usually happens is because of the rental calculations, they usually work well with property sub 200,000 pounds. So if you are purchasing a property sub 200,000, that works well because usually the rental calculation does afford you to borrow up to 85%. So it doesn't necessarily mean if you've got 15%, the lender's going to lend you 85%. You've just got to be conscious from a rental calculation perspective, the rent's going to um, calculate up to 85%. And, and, you know, for all your viewers and listeners, you know, get in touch with us, run the property numbers by us, and we'll quite simply tell you 85%, 75%, 60% rates and then for you to take a view on. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they're here for the foreseeable future, the 85%. They did go out of the market um, during COVID, lockdown one. And that was just simply because of lenders keeping up with the number of applications that came in. So, But the volumes are back up um, because you know, everything's back to normal. COVID's virtually disappeared now, which is nice to see. Um, so yeah, 85% market is totally open. I think 75% will be here and will remain for the foreseeable future for sure. What sort of percentage would you need to see rental wise in order to make that work potentially? So, you know, from the stress testing point of view. So we've, we've done a couple of videos in the past, so you might want to drop some links below or whatever, but yeah. around the calculations. But I think it's, um, if you're borrowing in a personal income capacity, it's either at 125% or 145% stress test, whether it's at pay rate or it's at five and a half. If you're a high rate or low rate taxpayer, if you are buying in a limited company structure, then it's a flat 125% at the pay rate or at the notional five or five and a half. So it works well, as I said, under 200,000 um, purchase prices or valuations. Um, but get in touch with us because the, every lender's got their own distinct way of calculating that. And it's not as complex as people make out, but there are other variables that we have to play a factor um, around your personal circumstances, size of your portfolio uh, and the alike. Is the size of the portfolio is a is a significant change when it goes from three to four? Is that right? Yes. Lenders? Yeah. So the PRA's definition of a portfolio landlord is anybody with four or more mortgaged properties. 
Now, every lender's got their own uh, ways and means of defining that. So most lenders on the high street only lend to property portfolio landlords up to 10 properties. Some will do um, 10, 20, 30 or unlimited. So every lender's got their own criteria. They've all got their, um, their bespoke terms and conditions, but that's what we do as independent brokers. We'll scour the whole market and provide you the most competitive rates based on your circumstances. Good, good, good. And last question for me before Tristan kind of hits you with the quick fire stuff that is no longer quick fire. Um, in the in, interest only mortgages for buy to lets is has really now become really popular mm -hmm. because of, I guess, the monthly profit that you can make on a buy to let, which is great. Whereas I think when I started investing in property from a buy to let perspective, the, the key element was repayment get the tenant to pay your mortgage was kind of almost the message that that most people were talking about now it's a case of interest only use that kind of chunk of profit maybe do a 10 percent overpayment but almost use it as an investment to to move on my interest is it almost seems really easy for a lender to just go they're going to pay it off through savings or through just a tick box exercise mm. is is there any signs that lending criteria might have more of a strict way on how they kind of go, okay, it's a 25-year term that we're looking at, and maybe have a bit more factual information around how it's paid off? Because I don't know whether it's going to be a problem for another 20 years, but at some point, if someone's just spending the profit and not saving the money, they're going to have, obviously, that term come to an end at some point. So yeah. It's a very good question, and it is um, something that does come across my mind. I'm a bit old school in my way of thinking, probably. I'm thinking I'm only a day older than you, in right? So yeah. you've got <laughs> the same mindset there. So I'm a big believer of, um, you know, let's take it back a step. It depends on your mindset and how you want to evolve in property. I think if you're setting out in property in today, you're going to want to buy, um, purchase a property via interest-only um, uh, model, just simply because it helps with cash flow, mm. it helps you save more money and then go again for further properties to scale and so on. But as you grow older, your families are growing, you're not coming to the end of your life or your end of your personal life term, but what you want to do is you want to be ensuring that you're paying that debt off. Now you question, well, your question was, well, how do you know you're going to be able to pay the debt back? Because in 25 years time, if your property has devalued in value and you have negative equity, for example, on day one of the 25 years, you said you're going to repay that loan by sale of security or property, um, sale of security property, which is the usual default um, answer in mo most applications. Um, it's a very, very good question. But what I would say to uh, your listeners is that you've got to be conscious of 25 years is going to come up eventually. And if you haven't, if you're just relying on the sale of that security property, you might not be doing yourself any justice there because you don't know what the price is are going to be in 25 years. You don't know where interest rates are going to be in 25 years. For those viewers that are a bit more um, old school, and remember the 80s, interest rates were at 15%, mm -hmm. and there was a massive dive in house prices. So, it, you know, they always say you've got to look at history, and history always repeats itself. And I think you've got to be mindful of that. But that's where you can um, just use a bit of common sense, be a bit smart in the way you invest. It's overpaid by 10%. Try to reduce the level of borrowing every time you renew your two-year or five-year deal. Borrow a tad lower. So you're reducing your loan to value across your portfolio. And what I would say is look at the blended rate across your portfolio in terms of loan to value rather than the individual ones, mm -hmm. because you're going to service the debt, your voids and your maintenance through the surplus income from your entire portfolio. So I think it's a good point to make. And I think once you go through the journey and you're halfway or three quarters into your investment journey, start thinking about maybe you own 10 properties, maybe let's do three or four on a repayment basis and the other five or six on a um, interest-only basis. So you're hedging your bets, Dad. Yeah. 
really briefly, in a, in a previous life when I used to in, in invite landlords to me to look at their portfolio as an investment executive, I used to look at blended rates massively and it was something that I used to get blank faces from landlords. So I think it's definitely worth two minutes just sure. defining what that means to people. Yeah. So blended rate simply means if you own 10 properties and property one, you're paying 1%, property 10, you're paying 10% and everything else in between, add the rates up and divide it by 10. That'll give you a blended rate of what your interest cost is over the 10 properties. And that's a good way of ensuring that you are below, well, at the average or below the average of interest rates in today's market. So it's a great way of doing that, and especially if you are a seasoned investor and you've been buying and selling properties over the last decade or two, you're buying properties at different values and at different interest rates. Now, it's a bit of a, a bit of a weird situation because interest rates have been at basically zero since 2010 yeah. or so. So in the last decade, it probably doesn't make any sense. But if you look at two year 2000 to 2010 and then 1990 to 2000, you may want to look at those mortgages and what the cost look like. But I can guarantee, and we all can do, we can our, bet our bottom dollar, interest rates today's market is reduced the average blended rate to basically zero because we've basically got zero across the board, which is nice to see. So it's a great position to be in, what I would say, if you're going to enter the buy-to-let space, even in today's market, even with all the new legislation, because house prices are just one of those assets, especially here in the UK, it's a safe haven. Prices are always on the upward trajectory, which is nice to see. And as we said, we've got a supply and demand issue. Mm-hmm. House prices are going up, rental prices are going up. Wage growth is not in line with house price growth, which means that you're gonna have longer staying tenants. Um, and ultimately house prices will only go one way. And, and I don't think, you know, I think one in our previous videos, I've predicted low interest rates for the foreseeable future. I still see that, and albeit that I still see a rate increase during 2022, about one and a quarter, maybe one and a half at the top, top end. but it's not really going to deter your um, your uh, mindset and sell your portfolio tomorrow because you're looking at, as you said, Mike, the blended rate and the overall profit in your portfolio. It's how you define low as well, isn't it? Are they as low as they were four months ago in four years' time? Probably not. But are they low in comparison to the last 20 years? Yeah. We'd like to think they are. Um, so it's how you define low. And the question that you constantly ask our viewers, our watchers, our social media audience, is today the cheapest day to buy a property? I love that. Is, is it today? And, and does that make your decision easier for you? Should you be committing on it today or should you be waiting another three or four months? And the answer with interest rates now is is, is to secure, to lock in right here, right now. And I bet it's you, not going to get any better. And I bet you if you did a poll now and you said... Were you, did you think the prices are going to crash in 2020, 2021? And were you going to wait for the price crash to happen? They've lost out because now they're paying 10% overs now, right? So yeah. um, I, think, I think as a property investor, you've got to be brave. You are an investor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a businessman. You've got to treat it like a business. If you don't treat it like a business, if you don't have the entrepreneur mindset, you've got to take risk. You know, it's risk and reward and all that sort of stuff. But you've got to be mindful of the upside and the downside. But that's the beauty that we live in today's market. We've got great people around us that can give us advice. I knock on your guys' door all the time. I pick up the phone to you guys. What do you think of this property? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And the reason why I do that is because we don't know it all. And I think in today's market, um, you you can't know it all because it's an ever-changing market. But the beauty is we've got, you know, great people around us um, to help us invest in and grow. Definitely, definitely. No, perfect way to move us into your section of this uh, podcast, just straight into it. So what's the best piece of advice you can give a landlord in 2022? Um, Don't think too much about it. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're not, don't waste time. I think the key here is a numbers game. Property is always about the numbers. 
And don't just think about here and now, what am I making today? Think about the foreseeable future. Look about the historic graphs, look at the costs, look at the overlays of buying property, but think of it as a five, 10, 15 year game plan, not just a one, two or three years, because property is not about the short term, it's all about the medium to long term, that's my views. Yeah, great tip. And then lastly, last time we spoke, we asked you what the perfect investment would be for you, and you mentioned the family property. Yeah. Is your position still the same, or have things changed um, since we last met? From a personal perspective, I've always loved single lets. I'm, I'm a single let type of guy. I don't like anything, you know, knocking walls down, doing this, doing that. I'm, I'm a simple guy from that perspective. I think from an, if I put my investor's hat on, um, I would look at a blended portfolio. And blended portfolio means having a couple of single lets, having a couple of HMOs, potentially looking at moving into the semi-commercial space, but semi-commercial with a view then to convert that to a residential space because price per square foot for commercial is a lot cheaper than residential. So the value add and the uptake and in order for you to make a profit quickly through semi-commercial conversions are a lot more smart to move. But what I would say is look at a blended portfolio, maybe a couple of multi-lets in there, you know, two units in one freehold helps with helps with cash flow, helps with you earning the freehold as well as um, a couple of flats in there. So diversifying that portfolio, maybe look into um, short-term lets as well, you know, but looking great coastal towns that have had um, great demand, especially over COVID, where did everyone go over the last couple of years? Because those towns are going to be um, here for the foreseeable future. So whether it's Devon, Cotswolds, um, how many guys anywhere else you think of? You had one place that you said half of your friends were in at one location. At this well, all my friends seemed to, seemed to just move to St Ives for six months, yeah. which I think that was expensive before COVID hit. And then, and then prices just absolutely doubled. The easy, the easy option for people to holiday has been just pop over to Spain. Yeah. But I, I do question with Spain bringing in the terms and conditions that I think it's 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds and must be double vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not entirely certain that everyone in the UK is going to be happy with doing that to their children. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder whether the UK coastline, like you say, is, is going to be that kind of... that classic Spain option and yeah. I spoke to quite a few people about holiday lets at the moment that have been having it off if you like yeah. <laughs> with, with what they've uh, what they've had from an occupancy rate so yeah it's definitely it's definitely a, a, yeah. something to look into from an investment strategy for sure yeah I agree I think holidays are, holidays are great and even if you've got 60% occupancy throughout the whole 12 months because we're not uh, blessed with uh, 35 degrees throughout our summer months but if you've got a 60% occupancy over the next 12 months it's a great yield from that perspective because obviously that cash flow from through an Airbnb style let property is uh, quite profitable compared to a single let. So blended portfolio um, and take a bit of risk. Yeah, just like calculator risk, I should say. Just on the Airbnb that you mentioned, is there restrictions with a lot of the lending criteria with that, or is it sort of a free for all with, with most lenders? There's no restrictions. The beauty is a lot of lenders have actually come into that space over the last two years in particular because demands and trends have been there because. Brokers like ourselves have said, our client wants to buy a holiday let in this town, in this city. And not just me, other other brokers would have said the same thing. So lenders are always asking us what the trends are, what are your clients asking for? Because they're in the they're in the space for lending. Mm -hmm. If they don't lend, they don't make a profit, they're gonna be out of business. So it's up to us, it's up to our clients to think outside the box. And as I said, you've got to treat it like a business. Property is a business. You can't think with your heart, you've got to think with your brain. So you've got to, you know, there's a there's a saying, you know, don't catch a, a falling knife in, in trading. You know, again, with property, follow the trends. If it's holiday, let's run with it. Um, but think about, you know, the loan to value ratios. Don't leverage yourself up to the eyeballs because 
you know, you've got to ensure that you've got enough enough um, what's it powder dry just to just to ensure that you've got some rainy day weather money. So don't plow all your money to property. Mm-hmm. It's like Bitcoin, don't plow it all into Bitcoin. You know, have a little dabble with certain things. And I always talk about blended rates, which Mike touched on, which I love blended portfolios for that reason as well. But going back to your question, Tristan, lenders are lovely. They love that sort of stuff at the moment with holiday lets. The key is it's got to be in a holiday let destination. Mm-hmm. There's no point where we are in Bracknell in Berkshire. There's no point having holiday lets here because there's no real demand for holiday let. But somewhere like central London, Devon, St. Ives, Sandbanks, Bournemouth, um, those sorts of places, Lake District, they will be, they're here for the, for the foreseeable future. So the demand's always going to be there. Yeah, sure. Gents, once again, thanks to Akil for taking the time to join us. Ian, what was your biggest point from today? I woke up this morning, I think I said in the middle of the podcast, I woke up this morning, I was a little bit worried seeing all of these rates increasing, inflation, Sky talking about Russia, and I was thinking, "Mm, okay, is the housing market about to see a different challenge on the horizon? Um, maybe that was just got up on the wrong side of the bed or just got the wrong type of notifications this morning. But actually talking to Akil today, uh, great confidence builder for any property investors and landlords. The reminder that property is such a safe place to put your money. And I think when you see Akil so confident and naturally feeling like it's just a really good place to be over the next couple of years, it helps everyone. So yeah, there was loads of insightful stuff. But for me, just the feeling of leaving the podcast knowing what a great time it is at the moment to invest in property and you brought it up but i keep saying it on social media today is the cheapest day to invest in property or to buy a property Um, yes a bit of sense and a bit of clarity provided by the broker who knows what the supply chain of money's like yeah absolutely what about yourself tristan we always say bricks and mortar is a safe haven though and it, it is a great investment and i think a kill's words on the reassurance of rates yes they're going up but not substantially and like you said, today is the cheapest day to buy a property. Um, and I think just the reassurance of, of his answers from that, I think from a buy to let from an investor's point of view, I think it certainly gives you reassurance it's a safe safe time to still invest. And we caught at the end, not only is it a safe haven, but maybe a good place to invest is Little Haven because uh, <laughs> yeah, Seaside Resorts at the moment seems to be quite topical. So a podcast coming to you soon we will definitely be talking about seaside resort investing. So I'm going to go and source someone for that podcast Final next. call, final call for Airbnb and holiday landlords and letting agents. We want to hear from you. That wraps up another week. We can't wait to record our next episode. We'll see you then. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.